0: The date is July 21st, 1989, and we are watching UHF. Welcome to I Used to Like This One.
1: fondly from our childhood, and attempt to look past the nostalgia to see if they still hold up. I am your host, Sean Wells, and with me is my co-host... Hello, I'm Colin Stewart. So, this week, we're looking back at June 1989, when the movies and theaters were Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Dead Poets Society, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, Do the Right Thing, Karate Kid 3, Ghostbusters 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Batman... And, of course, our movie for today, the award-winning Weird Al Yankovic classic, UHF, which earned a whopping $6.1 million (laughs) on a $5 million budget. (laughs) Good for it. I I, I think, uh, compared to some of the other movies on that list, it it probably uh, might not have done as well. (laughs)
0: And a warning for, any, for uh, anyone who hasn't seen this movie, which is now 31 years old, there will be spoilers ahead, so if you don't want to be spoiled, maybe hit the pause on this, go watch it, and then come back to us to see if you agree with our critiques or not
1: (laughs) yeah um uh, we 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 discussed this a little bit beforehand and uh it looks like we may not want to recommend this movie to people (laughs) spoiler alert on that one the tagline that appears on the poster for this movie is it's crazy it's outrageous it's the television station run by a lunatic But that may not be the best description. So we go to Colin for our
0: 60-second synopsis. Yeah, I'm actually, I wrote one, but I'm actually going to pull from the back of the DVD here on this one. So here we go. Weird Al Yankovic, Kevin McCarthy, Michael Richards, and David Bowe not David Bowie, and Victoria Jackson and Fran Drescher star in this inspired comedy about an offbeat guy who turns a deadbeat TV station into a raging success. Broadcasting Weird Al's unique brand of humor, UHF is a place you'll want to visit with increasing frequency. George Newman is a daydreamer whose hyperactive imagination keeps him from holding a steady job until his uncle hires him to manage Channel 62, a station that's losing money and viewers fast. But when George replaces the station's reruns with bizarre programs like Wheel of Fish and Raoul's Wild Kingdom, where poodles fly from the third-story windows, ratings begin to soar. Can George find the money he needs to stay on the air? Stay tuned.
2: <laughs>
1: yep, yep, that's that's UHF. Uh, now, for me, I, I think fondly back on this movie I I remember vividly how excited uh, I was to see it because for 11 year old me uh, Weird Al was my rock god I mean it's I own it I own it Weird Al Weird Al was one of the regulars in my in my music repertoire when I was younger Uh, and so I always have and still do even have a soft spot for him his his music is in my current playlist so do you
0: have a favorite song (sighs)
1: you know uh for me it's probably more like favorite album and it's the one that uh off the deep end okay. cuz that that's one of the ones that i remember fondly uh th- this one this one though i remember being obsessed with the uhf soundtrack as well to to the point that uh i could recite all the commercials that were on it you know the the Gandhi 2 and the spatula city i could recite those word for word so uh, to this day, I, I, I still also say that Weird Al is one of the best concerts that I've ever been to. He he puts on a great live show. Nice. Uh, and I mean, I've been to Woodstock 99, right? Like I've been to like a huge festival uh, with amazing bands. And I still think that Weird Al is one of the best concerts uh, that I've ever been to. So for a movie to come out starring him, it, it was the most amazing thing to me at the time. So So now... What was your past
0: experience with UHF? So I'd literally never heard about this movie until you <laughs> proposed that we watch it. Um obviously like I am a Weird Al fan, but I'm not I wouldn't say I'm a hardcore Weird Al fan. Um my 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 history with Weird Al starts at Alapalooza, which is still to date my favorite Weird Al album.
1: Uh, See that—that's probably yeah. That's the next one after Off the Deep End for me as well.
0: Yeah, specific. I think the reason why is because Jurassic Park came out that same year, and he had that Jurassic Park song, which I loved to death and listened to. Yeah, it's
1: frightening in the dark.
0: My mom just (laughs) threw out my CD. So, (laughs)
1: Uh, so do you? Do you? uh, Did you ever listen to the UHF album at all? Okay, I
0: I hadn't heard. I hadn't heard about this movie and i hadn't heard about UHF.
1: So even the songs that like the the Beverly Hillbillies song and no. you you don't you're not okay. Alrighty, Well, let's jump into UHF directed by Jay Levy uh who doesn't really have any other feature length credits to his name except a couple documentaries. He's got one called Second City Life as We Know It and one called Blue Story. Um, He's best known as Weird Al's longtime manager. He's basically yeah. been Weird Al's manager since the beginning and has directed almost all his music videos. So when you look at him on IMDb, he has like 150 credits, but most of them are Weird Al music videos. It's produced by Gray Fredrickson, who at one point in his career was a producer on films like Godfather Part 1 and 2 and Apocalypse Now. And wow. then sometime after UHS... It kind of went downhill and, uh, and produced things like the Rodney Dangerfield classic Ladybugs, uh, terrible direct to video Burt Reynolds movie called Cloud Nine. I remember back when I worked at Blockbuster Video, that was one of those that sat on the shelf and, and I always walked past it wondering whether I should watch it. Uh, the movie was written by Weird Al Yankovic and Jay Levy, except for the Conan the Librarian scene, which is credited to Charles Holloway. Um, and so fittingly because last crusade is in the theaters right now we open the movie on a parody of raiders of the lost ark (laughs) competing with another indiana jones movie competing is in heavy quotation marks there uh yeah so we're introduced to our hero george newman played by the one and only weird Al yankovic Uh, and my first thought when i uh when I saw this opening, was oh shit, am I remembering <laughs> the wrong movie? <laughs> Did I just recommend like a terrible parody movie? You know, is it a parody movie from the king of parodies? Like it, it would make sense if it was, um, but yeah, the opening turns out to be just a psych out, but uh, a well done spoof, I
0: thought. You know, yeah, I was I was shocked by how like it stays so close to it. You yeah know, and that and that because of that i didn't really get it i think it was kind of lost on me i i thought it was gonna be like i was trying to figure out is this the whole movie is yeah. it gonna be like constantly <laughs> just new like he's making fun of new movie or movies and stuff that's that? where my yeah. old
1: shit came in for sure yeah yeah, that, I mean, they've got the signs that say turn back and, and the guy gets hit by a train and, you know, like all the goofy things. But yeah, it, it, I thought it was a solid parody from, you know, the king of parodies. But then it, the picture dissolves, like he gets chased by the giant ball, he gets swished, the, the picture dissolves to, to burgers frying on a grill and they're actually in burger world and he was having a daydream the whole time. And so we're introduced to his best friend, Bob Steckler. Played by David Bowe, like you said in the beginning, don't confuse with David Bowie. It's definitely not David Bowie. David Bowie, uh looking at his IMDb, this is, this is probably the biggest role he had. He, he did, you know, a few episodes of Shameless, uh, Cable Guy, The Rock, Kicking and Screaming. Uh, but I, I'd say this, by the looks of his character names, the, this is probably the, the one that he, his biggest role. And so then they get fired from big, uh, for calling their boss, Big Edna, a pathetic tub of lard. Yeesh. Um, it was, it was, a, an insult that seemed like it was kind of over the top, but you know, that's weird. Al, that's the kind of thing that would show up as a lyric in one of his songs. You Those know. are also
0: like jokes you could make in the eighties. <laughs> that's
1: true. That's true. Um, but you know, why did Bob get fired too? Uh, that's that's something I don't understand. It was Weird out, or it was George, sorry, that mm-hmm. that uh insulted him. But then we get like the big, she throws them out, and and it's you know uh, a completely impossible distance that she throws them, and you know so we we go from we go from the daydream to real life, and then all of a sudden we have this fantastic element again, and and it just has me kind of wondering, well. You know, if they had left the, the fantasy to the fantasy, you know, why, why couldn't they have been more realistic when it came to, you know, like later on at the party, there's the bit where like his aunt stretches his cheeks out to an impossible distance as well. And it's yeah. just leave the fantasy where it belongs.
0: Yeah, um, there's that. There's also, like, the scene when they're in the apartment and he needs to know what time it is, and the guy punches through the wall. And he <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, speaking of which, we get home, uh, and we're introduced to Kunip, uh, played by Getty Watanabe, uh, who is best known as uh, Long Duck Dong in Sixteen Candles. Um, I think we're going to have to do Sixteen Candles so that we can... Uh, <laughs> Take a look at that name a little bit more closely. Uh, I also remember him from movies like Gung Ho, Gremlins 2. And he lives, or he, his karate studio is next door. And so the, the heroes get home and we are introduced to a Twinkie Wiener sandwich. Um, and as a surprise, something that you don't know, oh
0: <laughs> I actually gosh.
1: made us Twinkie Wiener sandwiches right here. Um I didn't have spray cheese so I had to I had to do it with uh cheese whiz instead but
0: I don't know if I can bring myself to eat
1: that. <laughs> um it's not terrible. It's like it's like having a burger that that's not bad. It's it's like having a burger made out of a donut. You don't have to have it but I just thought I'd surprise you with a twinkie wiener sandwich.
0: It looks <laughs> as bad in real life as it did on the screen. Yeah, Like not just bad. Like, in appearance, but just also bad in terms of health.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah, so we've got the Twinkie Wiener Sandwich, uh, hanging on the wall is a Mad Magazine poster, and actually, George Newman, because Weird Al Yankovic is such a fan of of Mad Magazine, um, it's, uh, he took the name Newman from Alfred E. Newman, um, But we've mentioned products, and that brings us to a segment we like to call Sponsorship Corner. So, normally on Sponsorship Corner, we like to break down all the obvious in-your-face product placements shown in our movie. However, on this one, there weren't many, and instead this movie features a few uh, fake products. So today, UHF is brought to you by Twinkies, Mad Magazine, Kellogg's Cornflakes, Radio Shack, and of course, Spatula City, Plots Are Us, and Crazy Ernie's Cars. I'll club a baby seal. And that is Sponsorship Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as you mentioned before, uh, he wonders what time it is. Uh, they, uh, Someone from the karate studio punches through the wall. He sees he's late for dinner. And we are introduced to Terry Campbell, played by Victoria Jackson. Ding, 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 ding. Oh.
0: Victoria Jackson happens to be my... Where are they now for this week? There wasn't like... Looking at the IMDb and the actors in this movie, I just want to say it seems like uhf was kind of like the dead end for a lot of these people i mean obviously fran drescher went on to do the nanny and michael richards went on to do seinfeld but even that was kind of like the pinnacle of their careers but i mostly wanted to talk about victoria jackson like she's most popular known for being a saturday night live regular um from 1986 to 1992 she did like the weekend update and was notable for doing some parodies of roseanne Barr and that kind of stuff but she didn't really do much in terms of movies after UHF. She had done a couple before, but not much after. The reason why I picked her as our Where Are They Now is for a couple credits that came after UHF, just small, small roles. One was, um, she played Garfield's love interest, Penelope Pussycat, in Garfield and Friends, <laughs> which was like one of my favorite cartoons I, growing up.
1: I remember that. Yeah.
0: And then she also, had a role in a small Saturday morning live action show called Common Rider Dragon Knights. If you don't know what Common Rider is, it was kind of a in Japan, Common Rider is very similar to the Power Rangers and uh Victoria Jackson had a had a role as the aunt to one of the one of the main characters in that show. And I was just I saw that credit and I just thought, how far your career must have fallen that <laughs> You went from being a Saturday Night like, Live regular doing movies and probably thinking your career was going to go somewhere to a bit role on a TV show that nobody's ever heard of.
1: Well, yeah, and <laughs> she, she, she was on Saturday Night Live at the time when it, it was Mike Myers and, and Dana Carvey and and Phil Hartman and Kevin Neal and, like, all these people that have gone on to more successful things. Um, but unlike the Saturday night live from a few years ago where the women were the funniest people on like Kristen Wig and, and, uh, and, and, Maya Rudolph and all that, when they were the funniest thing back then, the, the women on Saturday night live didn't quite get the respect that they deserve. Yeah. Cause it's also, you know, Nora Dunn was one of the women on at that time. And I think she's another one that probably faded off into the radar. Right yeah. Now. Like they They're, seem kind of just
0: ether. like even female roles, that time, like even the role of Terry in this movie is very, like, one dimensional and yes, yeah. small, right? Like she she's she, just...
1: she has one purpose, is yeah. what I've noticed with this movie. Um, you know, uh, after watching this movie, I realized that I I really sympathize for for the fight that women in Hollywood and the fight that persons of color are having in Hollywood as well. Because you know we've we've got the one character that's a stereotypical Asian character, but the only black person in the movie is the cameraman. Mm-hmm. I, as far as I know. that's the yeah. only one I noticed. Yeah. Um. And and with someone like Terry, she is she is such a waste of a comedic female. Well, that's what I'm saying.
0: Like if you yeah. kind of like what you were saying before, but if you. Were to take this movie and 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 Victoria Jackson and bring it to today, where she would be comparable to like say, uh, Kristen Wiig or or like, uh, Kate McKinnon and that kind of stuff. And you see the movie, the roles that they're getting nowadays, compared to what she got, where it's just like, you know, you're just there to fill the female purpose, and maybe somebody just liked you.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the only strong female character in this movie and she's not that strong but that that would be like fran Drescher's character yeah. terry has one purpose and that's to break his heart at one point in this movie mm. was that was that yeah, all yeah all that got. was victoria jackson okay so yeah we're so weird al ends up at dinner with uh with terry and it's just a <sighs> I think I'm going to say it now. This is, this is my hot take on this movie. I feel like this movie would be so much better if Weird Al wasn't the star. I think this movie had so much potential, but having Weird Al as the star and having him playing the straight man
2: mm-hmm. is
1: just the wrong thing. Cause when, when you and when you were introduced to Michael Richards, I mean, Michael Richards out Weird Al's Weird Al. Yeah. So I mean, you have this, you know, this moment where they're sitting at home, and and Weird Al says to Terry, you know, he's like, "I'm so stupid. I'm what? What was I thinking?" And then he just turns to her and says, "What's for dinner?" Right? You know, and that's that's the Weird Al joke is I'm gonna yell really loud for a bit, and then and then you know I'm gonna be absolutely normal, and I just think that. Someone else could have been a much better straight man and not had those overreactions. So that when you have characters like Stanley Spadowski that are over the top and you know
0: they
1: they, they play well, yeah, they, they play better at least.
0: Yeah, as in, for some reason, like just to go on with that, but it's like weird. I like Weird Al's comedy, but his comedy throughout this entire movie falls really flat. Yeah, it never, it never really resonates the way you want it to it it always just it's like when you watch a friend who like thinks they're funny but they're not really that funny because (laughs) And,
1: and, and that's part of how i feel too about it's like well 11 year old me was very excited to see this and i guess 11 year old me would find it funny but now you know even in this scene where he's with terry he starts building his mashed potatoes and doing the uh the reference to Close Encounters, you know, yeah. this means something. And it just, it's one of those jokes. I see where they were going. It falls flat and it was unnecessary. Because there's no setup. Yeah.
0: They never set up any of the comedy. He just does things. And and it's like, it's you, always, you always need to know the reference. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, go, going back, for someone like me who didn't watch a lot of the movies that he's probably parodying, I just see, I'm like, okay, okay, but I don't, I don't get their, I don't get their reference. So Good. then, maybe at the time when you're watching it and you were 11, you had seen like a lot of the movies. Uh, were... At
1: 11, I had not seen third uh, okay. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That that was one that I know I saw when I was working at, at video stores in my okay. 20s. So then it made sense. Yeah. But yeah, so so we end up at Uncle Harvey Bilchuk's uh, party. Uncle uh, Harvey Bilchuk played by Stanley Brock. <laughs> Uh, who doesn't have any credits worth noting except uh, he was on 47 episodes of days of our lives and he ends up winning channel 62 in a poker game Um, and so uh, he is talked into giving it to his nephew george and we welcome ourselves to u62 i love weird al's car (laughs) i want one of those cars um, but yeah, we we end up seeing U sixty two, and uh, we and the bum outside the uh, the studio who's hey Mister, got any change? <laughs> and and we get psych out number two. The first psych out, of course, was oh you know it's not actually a spoof of Indiana Jones. This is uh this is psych out number two where the bum starts picking through the change and gives him a dollar for the the change that he gets so you know that that was actually a gag that i did like i i had forgotten that one and it's like oh okay he's making change he's just literally asking for change but you're thinking he's just a bum yeah so and we're introduced inside to philo uh played by anthony geary who is another Uh, soap opera star he played luke spencer for a long time on general hospital uh it's funny looking through the credits you know how they list every name of every character he's ever played well he he played luke and then he played like his evil twin brother fake luke and then he was also called fluke So, (laughs) so, so i just i got a kick out of the fact that he played luke spencer and he played fluke spencer um and, and yeah, and so George is, you know, getting all ready to take over the studio. And we're also introduced to Pamela Finkelstein, played by Fran Drescher, the nanny, like we mentioned, uh, beautician in the beast, but a very, or the only strong female character in this movie. And I, I love when we, when we first meet her and she, she is just on a tirade about how she has a new manager in the station every week and 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 then weird al's reaction is okay then my office is in there (laughs) i I just i love that dismissive kind of humor i i've always had you know for some reason though that kind of dismissive humor gets me every time yeah so working at the station Uh, we've got a misdelivered package that uh, George takes it upon himself. It it belongs to the network studio downtown. And he takes it upon himself to deliver it in person so he can meet his competition. And we get to meet R.J. Fletcher, played by Kevin McCarthy. He's a guy that just, he's been around since 1944 acting. He has 207 credits to his name. And his whiny son, Richard. uh, Every 80s movie has to have a... Uh, a, an adult, whiny whiny boy son, played by John Paragon, who who is known as Jombie the Genie from the Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> uh, mecha lecca hi mecha hiney ho um, And, uh, of course, also to Stanley Spago- Spadowski, played by Michael Richards, uh, just before Seinfeld took off. Uh, like, this is one of those things that Seinfeld would have been on the air that fall. Yeah. and And if only they had waited... 6 more months to, re- to re- uh, release this movie. Maybe they would have gotten some uh, some Kramer fans in the seats.
0: Yeah, and I mean Stanley Spodowski is very there's a lot of Kramer in that character. Kramer with big teeth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Kramer with fake teeth in. but you know and like I said he just uh well and he even has like a Kramer type entrance. Yeah. Um and but like I said he out weird weirdal, you know, uh you know he gets fired, he wants his mop, but they take his mop away. Uh, which becomes very important later, of course. But, you know, Weird Al decides to hire him, and he also decides to make Pamela into a newswoman. And we end up with one of the gags that I really like is the blind guy sitting on the bench with the Rubik's, Rubik's Cube, <laughs> twisting it and holding it up to someone next to him and say, you know, do I have it now? Nope. And he twists it again, do I have it now? Um But we were also introduced to the cameraman Noodles Macintosh, uh who is played by Billy Barty another one of these guys that just has couple hundred credits uh his go back to 1927 um and for a little person I'm surprised none of them are wizard of oz but he was in willow uh oh, nice. legend he was in masters of the universe so he they're you know three, three very, uh, famous movies to have little people in them. He, he was the one. So it's kind of him or, uh, or what's his face? The guy that plays Wicked in, uh, in Star Wars. Uh, uh, that's going to bug me. Oh my God. Oh my God. Why don't I remember, uh, Warwick Davis. There it is. Um. So it seems like it's either him or Warwick Dav- saying, was, Davis. If you need a little person in the '80s, I think Vern Troyer. And Vern like, Troyer. That's, that's not nope, the guy. No, nope, <laughs> that's mini Me. That's mini Me. And then uh, we have Richard. Uh, Richard Fletcher. He trips noodles the cameraman, and I was strangely expecting it to be much more offensive, but you know he just does a uh, you know oh the little guy fell down and. It, it had the potential of being a lot more offen- offensive. but I, I love that you know like when Pamela meets him and he, she's not phased by the fact that he's a little person and, and I love the fact that they they rarely put him up on anything to take the photos. So all, all <laughs> the fo- all the camera work is done from from down below waist level and like it just it, it is kind of a fun visual gag that kind of goes through the whole movie. Uh, Richard ends up calling her uh, a broad, you know, a crazy broad or something like that. And so when they call the station to complain about him, uh, RJ says, I've told them never to call chicks broad. So we've got our uh, first misogynistic, a uh, really bad, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, they it's the 80s. He's also the villain. He's also the villain. So, considering that Richard was nicer to noodles than I expected, you know, I guess chicks and broads, well, that's that's not that bad. E- even like uh, when we look at the uh, the pathetic tub of lard from the beginning, I mean, he could have said, uh, you know, oh, she's such a fat bitch. And I guess that would be more offensive. So, yeah, he is the villain. So, um, but... Then we start getting into uh, the plan to have UHA, UH U- U62 uh, original programming. And <laughs> so we've got uh, Emo Phillips uh, playing the shop teacher. Uh, this scene is actually the reason why it has a PG-13 rating. If you notice, and it's it's kind of the way Weird Al is, there's absolutely no cursing in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um but this movie is rated PG thirteen because of when he cuts off his thumb and he's <laughs> yeah. spraying blood. Okay, so now I know you weren't a big fan of this movie, but come on, come nah, on. Was,
0: there, there was one. There was only one part of this movie that made me laugh, and when we get to it, I'll tell you what it was. Okay, okay.
1: But I mean, he, you know, oh fiddle dee dee. You know, it's uh, uh, I, I've, I've always loved that scene. That, that one still got me. That that one still got me. Um, we, and so we've got Anki, Un- Uncle Nutsy's Clubhouse is the, is the other original programming. <laughs> Poor Bobbo the Clown. Um, when I was watching it, I didn't even realize that it was Bob at first. And then I'm like, oh, Bobbo. Oh, okay. you know, I, I get it. And, but some of the faces that he makes are just priceless. He gets yeah. hit in the face with the frying pan. Again, it's one of those out of the nowhere weird all jokes, which falls a little flat. But the face that he makes afterwards,
0: I think, totally redeems the joke. Well, I think he legitimately got hit in the face. I,
1: I heard that, like, too, yeah. From what
0: I read, anyways. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah, we he's trying to make the, uh, the studio run. And uh, he's supposed to have a date with uh, an anniversary dinner with Terry. And he ends up falling asleep. And we just have a gratuitous... Weird Al Yankovic music video doing the the Beverly Hills Hillbillies uh, dream sequence, which is just what the music video is back on MTV back in the day. Um, But George ends up no showing for his dinner. And so we bring her to her only reason for existing in this movie, uh, which is which is just to dump him. Yeah. You know, and uh because he's so depressed, he ends up giving Uncle Nazis Clubhouse to Stanley Spag- Spadowski. And for some reason, people love Stanley Spadowski. Um he's got speeches like his life is a, like a mop speech. Uh, he just he's just uh not a very smart weirdo. And I love that he's given the job and still still told that he gets to be the janitor as well. Know, uh, that's, and his, that's his condition. That's his yeah. condition is that he gets to still be the uh, the janitor.
0: <laughs> I thought it was also cool that apparently Michael Richards he improved a lot of those his like his monologues or whatever for that show. Yeah,
1: it doesn't surprise me. That's that's definitely the kind of thing he he does. Um, you know, even when he's having a. Uh, Racist meltdown on stage. He, <laughs> he manages to, uh, you know, just make it up on the fly. <laughs> even if it's not funny. Oh, uh, racism. Okay. So, <laughs> um, now one thing, one, one really serious question I have here is the front door to the station. How does that door work? There is a doorknob in the middle of the door. How does that
0: door work? I never even thought about that.
1: It's 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 one of those things that I even remember from when I was a kid, and I never understood this doorknob in the middle
0: of the door. I does it ever show them using
1: it? No, because they yeah, yeah they always just end up pushing. I, I I don't get it. But anyway, sorry. Off on a tangent. So yeah, we're starting to see the the U sixty two original programming. So we get Wheel of Fish, um, which is hosted by Cooney. Uh, And this is the first time when I wrote down, is Cooney's accent real? Uh, Or well, I, I wrote that down earlier when we met him. And then this was when I actually paused the movie and I had to Google an interview with Getty Watanabe to make sure to see if it was a real accent. And it's not. No, it's no. his so stupid is yeah, he he does not speak like that. Bit, yeah. And and so I'm wondering whether he was told to Asian it up so that the supplies war joke works uh, later on. Yeah, as we later
0: later on that that made me cringe. <laughs> I,
1: I yeah oh, I I had I had a uh, uh, uh an old uncle when i was a kid you know a gr- great uncle and he was uh he was gently racist and he was the type of guy that he he loved the chinese food restaurant in the small town that he lived in uh but he was the one that was always uh saying that i want fried rice and so yeah to to put on this you know extra accent just so that the supplies joke works yeah i mean it's funny but Ew, like It's not funny anymore. No, like, it's it's. I, I get what they're doing, but now it's just kind of like, I don't think that works anymore. I don't think you would put that in a Jackie Chan movie no. in, you know, the 2000s. It's, yeah.
0: Like the um, last time it worked was probably Team America, yeah, World Police, and probably. it's only because it's those guys.
1: And it's only because they're puppets, too. Yeah. Like it, It's only because they're not live action. Yeah, and a couple more, uh, uh, original UH, uh, sorry, I keep wanting to say UHF. A couple more U62 original program, and we have Philo's Secrets of the Universe. Secrets, 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 of <laughs> I don't... Philo is just an unusual character, and kind of like Victoria Jackson, he serves one purpose... At one point in the movie. Yeah. And that's his whole reason for being otherwise. I don't think Philo is really a necessary character. And we have Raul- Raul's Wild Kingdom. And on that note, it's time for something we like to call Bit Player Spotlight. Now, Raul is played by Trinidad Silva. He was born January 30th, 1950 in Mission, Texas. Moved to South, Southern California in 1970 to pursue acting. He made his screen debut in a 1977 episode of the TV show Beretta. Uh, and throughout the late 70s and 80s, he guest starred in TV shows and appeared in small roles in movies like Alumbrista, The Jerk, Colors, and of course UHF. He's probably best known for uh, 28 episode reoccurring character Jesus Martinez. On the show *Hill Street Blues*, I, I read into that a little bit, and Jesus Martinez is someone that started off as like a, a, an informant on the show, and then ended up becoming a paralegal. So he he was this uh, gang banger that ended up with this uh, arc on the show where he ended up becoming something important on the show. So in 1988, he actually appeared in five different movies until landing his role in UHF. Sadly, his part had to be rewritten because on January 31st, 1988, he died in a car crash while he was filming. Uh, His wife and two-year-old son were in the car at the time uh, when a drunk driver ran a red light and plowed into his car. Uh, He was thrown from the car uh, along with his son, and he died instantly, but his wife and son survived. And the driver of the other vehicle was charged with the maximum 10 years for manslaughter. Trinidad Silva was 38 years old and the movie UHF is dedicated to him in the credits. And that is my BitPlayer Spotlight. Wow. Hey everybody, Editing Sean here. I just wanted to jump in and let you know that I realize I made a mistake there. I accidentally said that Trinidad Silva's death date was in January. I think I was mistaking this with his birth date, which is in January. He, he did actually die on July 31st, 1988. So my apologies to the Silva family for this error. It was July 31st. Also coming up, I just want to say that I am about to say the name R.F. Simpson when I actually mean R.J. Fletcher. I was in a production of Singing in the Rain and the character that I played on stage there was named rf simpson so it was just a slip of the tongue i do mean rj fletcher okay back to the show so at this point u62 becomes the number one station in town because of all this wacky programming they now have and rf simpson is not happy um, he's, he's berating all the people that are close to him and we get psycho number three with take off that ridiculous thing. And he's talking about the fake mustache that the guy's wearing instead of the ridiculously over the top cowboy hat with things dangling from it. And, and then, and then we get the only funny line from his whiny son, Richard, uh, which is when RJ says, what would RJ senior say? And Richard says, Help, let me out of this box I can't breathe <laughs> I mean that that was funny right there I mean that but it was like his only it was his only funny line and it was one of those like uh, throwaway like under breath lines uh, so he decides that he is going to buy u62 so he finds out that Uncle Harvey owns it and uh, Uncle Harvey agrees to sell the station to RJ. And so RJ comes in to measure the station (laughs) and we have the three loudest outfits ever because, you know, Weird Al started the movie off wearing suits to work. And then now he's at the point where he's into his usual Weird Al Hawaiian shirts. Um, So we've got George in a Hawaiian shirt standing there next to Bob, who is wearing this, uh, this barbershop quartet type striped shirt. And then beside him, we have Pamela, who is wearing this like weird fluorescent, like tiger stripe Zubaz type outfit, but it's in three different colors, like bright pink, bright green, and and bright yellow. And I just look at that, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> this picture right here. This is 1989, right here. We've <laughs> got. Like the three loudest. I think Bob's even got like high-waisted jeans and everything like that. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. But but even with the success, we've still got Stanley in his t-shirt and suspenders, yeah. which is something that I appreciate is that Stanley Spadowski never changes even with success. You know, the show around him changes. We've got kids drinking from fire hoses. We've got, you know, a, a little uh, fire truck that zooms around. We've got thousands of people in the crowd but Stanley Spadowski is still wearing his t-shirt and his suspenders.
0: That that was my the one part that made me laugh was when Joel Joel Miller finds like the magic marble and gets to take a drink from the fire hose. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why but the whole time I was watching it and I was like I was like this is like is it going to be an actual drink and then <laughs> when he actually unleashes the hose, and the kid just goes flying back, you get to drink from the
1: fire hose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it was just one of those
0: things where I was like, I didn't believe that they're actually going to do it, and then they did, and it made it even more funny. So
1: yeah, we we had the kid earlier when when it was still Uncle Nazi's clubhouse that spits Weird f- out. F- <laughs> and that right there almost kind of tells you. Yeah, that's the movie you're in for. But that kid was trying not to laugh the whole time <laughs> after with the spit hanging on. Uh... Okay. So you laughed at the fire hose. Okay. Well,
0: I like physical comedy.
1: You like physical comedy? <laughs> okay. Um, and so we, we start to see like the, the, the 80s montage of, uh, how U62 is getting popular. So we've got town talk. Um, with the transvestite Nazi hookers next time on Town Talk with George, you know, and we, we have like a, uh, a Jerry Springer type fight breakout between Ku Klux Klan members and, and, uh, and everything like that. Apparently there was a deleted scene for, for a show that they called Those Darn Homos. So, so, you know, this, this, uh, this... Town Talk with George is kind of where they they push the envelope the most, I think, with uh, borderline offensive or borderline, you know, questionable characters. But so I'm kind of glad that they decided to delete those darn homos. <laughs> um, but 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 then we also see Gandhi Two. Yes. Uh, and um, Gandhi Two. Uh, Gandhi in this is played by Jay Levy, the the director of the movie. Um, Jay Levy, I I googled ethnicity, ethnicities, yeah, all that sort of stuff with him. And as far as I can tell, Sorry, I he's a white guy, and uh, and he's doing brownface. Now our our prime minister got in trouble for the same thing about six months ago. Um, I don't think this is okay. <laughs> I, I think now I, I'm wondering, is it, is it because the director said that I do a pretty mean Gandhi impression or was it just because they had no one else? And instead of, you know, hiring someone else, they're like, he's just like, I'll just do it. yeah Like, ew, it's, I think honestly,
0: it's just one of those things where they thought, they thought about it. And they thought, man, it would be funny to have Gandhi too. Like Gandhi too, as a thing is is funny. And then they were like, well, who's gonna do it? And we can't have Weird Al do it because he's already got a thing. Yeah. Like I feel like anybody could have been could have been in that role. Well, and it's he, just it's just a product of the time. Yeah. The,
1: who, the, the the movie Gandhi itself. I mean, it's Ben Kingsley playing him, and yeah. so is Ben Kingsley. I don't think he is by any means indian or anything like that like is he half like I don't so know. or is it is it just the times that it was a white guy playing yondi but you know by 1989 they should have known that that's not okay i don't know yeah.
0: like not and i mean <laughs> i don't think i don't think it's okay to do i don't think it was a, was like technically okay then but it was definitely acceptable by like mainstream, yeah. Society then, I think.
1: I mean, you take so. a look at something like uh *Tropic Thunder*. Yeah, where you have Robert Downey Jr. playing the 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 actor that is so egotistical and so method that he actually gets like skin pigmentation changed so that he can play a black man. And something like that, though it's it's the ego of the character that makes that blackface yeah. funny.
0: But even with that, uh, I, have, but, I have a bone to pick with that, just because like I don't want to get suicide of But even with Robert, it's a funny thing because he's making fun of the actor. Yeah. But I didn't. Really, he was he was nominated for an Academy Award for that role. So I'm like, if you give him that award, then you're kind of giving him an award for playing blackface, and then the like the, the, The icing on the cake is that the person who was introduced him at the Academy Awards was Cuba Gooding Jr. (laughs) So then you get a black person to introduce a guy who essentially is could be taking a black role. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that was only in 2009, so I mean, if it was okay in 2009, I think it was... Probably or not okay, but accepted in two thousand nine is probably even more accepted. Yeah,
1: I, I know. I, I don't know. If, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you could even get away with doing something like Tropic Thunder even now you with with the now. sensitivity. I don't think so. Um, but like this, this Johnny too, though the the fact that they were trying to make it look like it was an actual serious, yeah, you know, uh, a movie that was being made. It just that that takes away the humor that at least. Something like Tropic Thunder brought to it, where
0: you it'd know. be interesting to know how it was received
1: in '89.
0: In '89, in yeah. like was it something that somebody watched and people were just like, "Oh, Gandhi, too, man, that was so hilarious. That was my favorite part of the movie. It was so funny," <laughs> or were people like? Or were people like, man, that was messed up? Because I bet you it's the latter.
1: <laughs> well, and like <laughs> I said, I mean, I used to have the, the album for for the, the soundtrack album, and I had these commercials memorized. Yeah. You know, don't move, dirtbag. You know, like, I, I remember that, you know, even without being able to put the picture to it, I remember knowing every the the whole thing and yeah. you know but yeah it would be interesting to see how that was received. So okay so uh verdict is that uh Gandhi 2 uh, not okay racist. <laughs> yes, not um racist. brown face yeah not okay. That is uh that the I used to like this one uh approved behavior is no brown face. Uh, <laughs> uh so uh, so now we find out that U62 is going to be sold um, and George is unhappy about this. So what does he do? The most 80s thing you can do. He has a telethon to save the station and he's going to share, sell shares to the station so that it can be publicly owned. Now, here's my question. Now, I'm no expert on the stock market or anything, but couldn't RJ Fletcher just buy the majority of the stocks and then he owns the station? Yes, or because it's publicly traded, does is that different? Like,
0: no, it, technically, if you own the majority of the stocks and you have, you would have majority control.
1: So, so he's going to buy this station for seventy five thousand dollars from uh, from Uncle Harvey. But he could just go down to the telethon. He could drop forty grand, and he would have controlling interest of the station, mm. and. He hasn't thought of that? Like what? <laughs> I just I just don't get it. I mean, he has a telethon to save the station, but especially, that
0: that could play into the villain's hands, especially when he's smart enough to know that like laws prohibit him from operating two TV stations at once, so he has to close UHF anyways.
1: Yeah. So yeah, so so he knows laws but he doesn't know finances. <laughs> I don't know. But so they they have the telethon. Now now, here's another case where I'm no expert, but, but I'm no expert on telethons. I remember watching, you know, things like the, uh, the, the MS telethon or the PBS telethons growing up. I do remember those as part of my tr- childhood, but Stanley Spagatowski gets kidnapped mm. halfway through this telethon and all of a sudden no one wants to donate anymore. Now, <sighs> This is something that bugged me in Bohemian Rhapsody, too, is that Queen gets up on stage in Bohemian Rhapsody for Live Aid, and all of a sudden, the phones just fucking start ringing, you know, and everyone, yeah, we're going to hit our goals, you know, yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, Queen's on stage, and for me, it's like, well, if if I was uh, watching a telethon, and there was something that I really wanted to watch on the TV... I wouldn't want to be interrupted by making a phone call. It seems like when Stanley Spadowski gets kidnapped, that's the ideal time to like go to the bathroom, get a snack, phone in a pledge. You know well, like <laughs> even
0: the like even the I i the idea of telethons and these live aid concerts where it's like we're gonna provide you entertainment so you call in has never really made sense to me. Like, why wouldn't you just be like, "Hey, we need money. If you want to support us, like, you know, just give us your ten bucks, take your share, and and go on, go on with your life." Like, it's weird that there, there. It just seems like there was a time where people were just so. What What was it about the event that made someone want to donate? Yeah, I don't know. You know what, I what I, it I is? never
1: I no I never understood that either. But I mean, you know. Like, why, T- telethons why would you- dropped off in the 90s, and so yeah. by then, uh, you know, like, so my my memory of telethons, I, it was between the ages of zero and 12. I
0: think, I think it's, like, a simpler time where you were, like, you saw the celebrity on there, and they're, like, pleading with you, and you respected the celebrity of the person. And, and, so you're, like, I'm going to donate to help them reach their goal. It's like when you It's like when you give 25 cents to a kid at a lemonade stand. Yeah. It's like, it's like you just want to help them reach their goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, and,
1: and I mean, I, I know, I know with some of the telethons, they would have the celebrities manning the phones. And so you'd always yeah. hope that you got one of them. Uh, you could talk to yeah, them. Yeah. So that you might talk to them. I guess that I guess, kind of makes sense. But I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I just don't understand the logic of. You know, and and especially with with this telethon, because it's not, you know, let's raise money for charity. It's like, we've got this many shares. You can own a piece of this station and keep this programming. Like, really, did they expect him to
0: actually be 36 hours on screen, you know? But even to your point, like, what happens if somebody, like, at the end of it, like not to spoil the end, but I guess so, like when the homeless guy comes, we're about spoilers. Yeah, when the homeless guy comes back and brings his two thousand dollars and buys the rest, like what if his two thousand dollars is the majority the majority of the what if everybody else just bought one? Yeah. And now he has two hundred shares of the station. And,
1: and George owns nothing.
0: Yeah, and George doesn't buy a single one. <laughs> so <laughs> well okay so yeah we uh, which defeats the purpose of everything like his aunt his aunt convinced his uncle to give him the station so he could be in charge of it and like do something with his life and now it's going to be a publicly traded company he might not even have any control over anymore (laughs) somebody else might now be like well no i bought ten thousand dollars worth of shares so I can run this station now, George. I like, just spent
1: $2,500 yeah. on this. George, the the bomb, yeah. George,
0: you go back to flipping burgers. Like, you're not doing anything productive anyways. Yeah, so. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, and, and so, yeah, we, we've we got the Rambo spoofed now um, because, uh, yeah, Stanley has been kidnapped. He, i love I love when he see this is this is where the mop comes back i I love that he sees his mop down the hallway he manages to work his blindfold off he sees the mop and that's enough to get him out of his chair and running and the um the fight between him and the thugs in this scene uh is kind of funny like the shooting the staple gum behind him and but he hits the one guy in the face with all these staples and, and then the guy spends the rest of the movie with these staples in his face.
0: Why doesn't he pull them out? I I just I don't understand that. The Rambo I didn't understand the Rambo thing. Like you know the Indiana Jones one, the Beverly Hill they're are daydreams. Yeah, but the Rambo one seems to be like an overlay of what's actually happening. Yeah, but fictitiously did, in his did, mind. Did
1: he like? Did he black out while he was behind the wheel of his car on his drive there and start imagining this? 'Cause if he's letting the burgers burn on the uh, on the grill in the beginning because he's daydreaming that he's Indiana Jones, did he you know, like did yeah. he black out? Is he putting everyone else's life and risk by at risk by trying to rescue Stanley Spadowski? Uh, <laughs> and and actually that that is a very good point. And it's it's actually the same with the one at the very end as well, the gone with the wind yeah. one, where it's just like, yeah, it's like, yeah, okay, this guy is obviously a daydreamer, but like you said, the other ones are clearly...
0: Yeah. That was a problem I had with the movie overall, is, like, halfway through, they switched what the parodies were. Yeah. Like, before, they were clearly the dreams, yeah. and then in the second half, they become these weird, like, almost like the movie Sucker Punch, where it's, like, they're <laughs> daydreaming... These fantastical situations, but they're doing, they're doing something and they're doing, completing a mission in real life.
1: Wow. (laughs) Soccer Punch. That's a, that's a deep cut right there. That's a, that's one that, uh, wow. That, that's quite, (laughs) quite the reference to pull out. But yeah, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. it, It, the purpose of them changes and, I, I never really even realized that watching the movie. You know, I, I I was excited about the fact that a lot of the fantasy has started to fade away. The the fantasy that I was talking about in the beginning, like Big Edna being able to throw them the length of the parking lot or or the cheap stretching. And that starts to fade away. Like there's still the fire hose. Yeah. Um but on the other hand that's kind of realistic the because if you host, sat in front yeah. of the fire hose that's what would happen to you you would get blown across the damn room yeah. um but yeah this is a point where the fantasy starts kind of creeping into the reality of it a bit yeah that's a very solid point though about so yeah we've got the rambo spoof i i guess it was just their opportunity to make fun of rambo because everything's blowing up and and he's throwing bullets at people and no wait am i mixing that up with hot shots am i forgetting anyway he
0: he catches a bullet in his mouth
1: oh he catches it in it yeah and (laughs) there's there's a scene in hot shots part and i I watched that not too long ago and it's the same thing where he picks up a handful of bullets and throws them at people so it's like i'm mixing up the two rambo spoofs that would have happened within probably like five years of each other I'd probably go on record as saying that the one in Hot Shots is probably better. <laughs> um, so, Philo comes to the rescue. Oh, sorry. After Cooney saves the day with his uh, supplies. supplies out of the supplies closet. Um, yeah, we find out that Philo has set up a hidden camera in R.J. Fletcher's office. And uh, he has recorded some damning uh, 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 confession... Uh, which I guess is the other reason why Terry is in this movie. I forgot that Terry was in this scene. But if we didn't have Terry, it could have just as easily been, I don't know, Fran Drescher? Couldn't couldn't Pamela Finkelstein have gone over there to talk to RJ? I don't know. But so I guess Terry has two purposes in this movie. But much like Weird Al being the straight man, it's, again, Terry is just kind of this sad sack, you know her comedy uh, Victoria Jackson's comedy is absolutely wasted uh, on Terry because she's she's also she's a straight woman
0: as well like yeah. so
1: you know we've got these two wacky people that are just playing the straight
0: characters Yeah she's actually never funny I can't think of a
1: No no I don't think joke. she is. No, the the, the funniest thing about her that I can think of is that dress she is wearing while she's waiting for George at the anniversary (laughs) dinner, which is basically like a a combination between a terrible 80s uh, prom dress and a terrible 80s uh, bridesmaid dress. But yeah, so we've, uh, but Philo comes to the rescue because of his, uh, hidden camera that he has placed, and he ends up splicing into an announcement that R.J. Fletcher is making on the air, that, uh, you know, what he actually said about the people of this town being morons and all that sort of thing.
0: So, so, yeah, I just want one thing. When I watched this movie, I was like, I felt, I really felt like this, in this moment, Weird Al, if he wanted to, has, like, a case... To go after Tim Burton and his Bat, like Batman <laughs> Returns, because Batman Returns basically hinges on the exact same, the exact same premise.
1: So R. J. Fletcher is the <laughs> Penguin. Yeah.
0: And I just thought I was like, that would be a good way to to stick it, to, because that <laughs> Batman basically got released in 1989 and ruined ruined everybody's summers
1: so. <laughs> oh my god yep um the, the the only difference is that philo philo used an actual like television st- transmitter instead of uh using a cd player with a batman bat symbol on it yeah because <laughs> yeah, you can scratch a cd because that's how that works tim burton oh my god yep <laughs> yeah weird all should sue batman <laughs> um so yeah so uh so philo has done his job so so he exits and um somehow he uh goes back to his home planet i like that that was so dumb like that that was one of those things where i'm like oh come on like you know this was not necessary i i get it that you're saying the whole time that he's a little bit weird but uh, why you had to add this fantastical element again and and it's kind of like you said is that you know like there's that middle chunk where everything Everything is actually could be a very funny movie, and it's a very solid idea in the middle. But then, once the ramble thing happens, it starts to get fantastical again. Yeah.
0: You know, and if, uh, they had just stu- if they had just stuck with the parodies of like different types of TV shows and Conan and, and all, the, all the weird, all the weird TV show ideas and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that was the parodying that worked in the movie the other stuff the movie the movie stuff just cuz then i was it just didn't work as well for whatever see
1: and reason. see and that's where where i think that the the idea of the movie like the the actual story yeah. idea
0: it was like they had two ideas good, yeah exactly it was like they had one idea where they wanted to be it was going to be like two guys making like home movies almost like be kind rewind or yeah, something like yeah, that yeah. and then they had this other idea where they they had the TV station and they had to come up with brand new content it's, it's, and then they tried to mash them together. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's like they had, you know, like a 45 minute idea and then all these like little three minute ideas. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, okay. This is, this is Saturday Night Live. This is, you know, this is sketch comedy at its best right here. Let's throw, yeah, throw in all these little bits that, yeah, it's, and you know, like when I said that I've been to the Weird Al concert, I mean, he, he goes, he go when he's backstage changing because he'll wear the costumes that he wore and videos that he had for different songs and so while you're backstage you see these little bits called all tv and they're the same sort of thing they remind me of this kind of thing where it's like a little five minute thing that just doesn't really make sense with anything else Mm -hmm. as you go um so we've uh yeah we've got noodles macintosh gets his uh revenge on richard fletcher uh, by tripping him into mud but then we've got you know why why are all these 80s filled with adult whiny daddies boys because he gets tripped and daddy it was the same sort of thing like when we watch goonies there's you know there's yeah they're there <laughs> you goonie like we we've got all these whiny entitled uh, they're just they're annoying characters they're all the same um, but at least, uh, someone got hit in the nuts because at the, in the end we get someone that, uh, kicked in the nuts as well. So thank goodness we got through an eighties movie and just in the nick of time managed to get someone hit in the nuts. Um, and then, yeah, we, uh, George and Terry are reunited and we've got a spoof, uh, of Gone with the Wind as an ending and that's UHF. Now, Colin, on IMDb, uh, it scored 7.0 out of 10. Uh, (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) 25,278 reviews, and it scored 7 out of 10. And uh, the Critic, (laughs) the Critic Metascore of 32. And that's out of 100. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, uh, the Critics have given it a 64%. uh, That's the tomato meter. (laughs) And uh, an audience score... Double, double the reviews on this audience score. Uh, 50,645 reviews. The audience score is 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's
0: shocking. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> where does it fall for you? <laughs> I have a quote here from uh, Gene Siskel that, that really just resonated with <laughs> me and summed up how I felt about okay, this movie. Okay, right on, it's, right on. He said in 1989, never has a comedy tried so hard and failed so often to be funny. And that, <laughs> that, that really just sums up my, my thought about this movie. I would give it like a 10% for the funny Firehose oh. game. Maybe. Oh, 10! Like, and even Ew. this movie, everything I read about this movie, they talk about it like it's a, as a cult classic. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I think it's just, It's just God bless, like, Weird Al. For the love that people have for him, I think this movie gets a pass in in the minds of some people. But it by no means is a good movie. To me, it it seems like, if I had to guess, I would say they wrote one draft and then filmed it. (laughs) They... (laughs) <laughs> like you said before, having Weird Al be the, be the main... Be the straight man! Be be the straight man. Even be, yeah, even be the main guy. Like, he's just not a confident actor. He's, a, like, he's a funny musician and that kind of stuff, but he's not a great actor, and the, com- oh, he's the comedy just him. fell so flat, and his type of comedy, I think it works good in a two-minute music video, but in a one hour 30 some minutes movie it just well, there's not enough to carry it through
1: <laughs> I, I i can put your mind at ease that he does have no other feature length credits yes um all of weird al's credits are uh, either music videos or or things where he plays himself yeah um yeah, uh, or, or voiceover work. He does do yeah. voiceover work. Uh, I know there's an episode of Teen Titans Go. Again, I'm mentioning Teen Titans Go because I've got kids. Um, but, uh, there's an episode where he is playing Darkseid. Yeah. Um, in a two-part Teen Titans episode. And they oh. joke about the fact that Darkseid sounds like, Or is it dark side? Dark Dark side. Dark side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That he sounds like Weird Al Yankovic, and so it is a funny bit. But yeah, most of his credits, he's either playing himself or. Yeah,
0: I kind of, you know, I do kind of feel bad for Weird Al. Reading about this movie, I read a lot of things that were where he was talking about how he was told that this was. This movie was one of the highest testing movies that Orion films had ever produced. Really. And so like they were expecting it to be this smash hit. and then it just got torn apart in this sea, like in this summer of brilliant movies so so badly that it got beat by a re-release of Disney's Peter Pan. <laughs> like, like that's how bad it that's how bad it did wow that, that one
1: didn't come up in my <laughs> research okay yeah and so well but that was back in the day when disney did that yeah and, i mean yeah re-releases and, of their movies always did and so well. it
0: kind of just i felt i actually even though i don't like the movie at all i did feel bad for him because it seemed like he had been pumped up so high to like think oh this is gonna be such a success and then flocked horribly and he went into this like three-year depression and th-
1: it made six million dollars
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was you said it they it cost only five million only or something, five so million I
1: mean, to make it, it was so profitable. it was profitable yeah <laughs> um yeah I, I one of the things we do on this show is we are trying to look beyond the nostalgia and so for me I mean I'm more torn because I have more of a history with this movie um but I yeah it's it's not that good anymore it it, it's one that I know like I loved when it was a kid when I was a kid the jokes that I loved as a kid I remember which ones they were and why I loved them with them there are only a few that really hold up and like I said that Rubik's Cube joke my god that was hilarious to me this time and that was one that didn't even wasn't even on my radar when I was a kid. Yeah. Um so yeah, I'm trying to look past the nostalgia because I know how much I did love this movie. But yeah. yeah. I I don't think I'd go as low as 10%. Um I thought 10% was generous. <clears throat> that was generous. <laughs> and for you absolutely seen it I I like I can't erase all the nostalgia yeah. of it. But I think for
0: me too one for, of the other things was that there's no, there was no hook for me into it, yeah. other other than Weird Al, well, and other like, than the show. <laughs> yeah, and so there was no to just watch it and be like, well, I don't really know or care for any of these actors. The story was wildly inconsistent. The humor was, <laughs> the humor was just not there. So I mean, yeah. but I could I could see as a kid why l- liking it. Why you would like it just just based on Weird Al like liking the funny mashed potatoes even though I don't understand it yeah. liking the fist going through the wall like,
1: liking the fact that I could actually see a ninety minute long music video yeah. of one of my favorite um yeah for for me it's uh, I got to go higher than ten but I definitely lean most towards that Metascore that that thirty two. You know that's that's one where, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely below fifty. Yeah, I I I agree with the uh, the IMDb Medic score of thirty two. Yeah, and, yeah, and I may even come in lower, but I <laughs> I give it more than ten because there there were at least a half dozen good laughs that I got out of this. Where you know,
0: the funny thing too is even <laughs> as a Weird Al fan. What I wanted more from it was less movie stuff and more music, yeah, stuff.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that's that's the thing about this movie is that you know he he's not even the music guy for this movie, right? Like they they do actually have a proper composer, uh, John DePrez, who went on to do Ninja Turtles and Fish Called Wanda. Um, so they do have an actual composer for this movie and there would have been much more opportunity for him to soundtrack the movie. I mean, that might be even something that I missed in my sponsorship corner is that, you know, this movie is sponsored by Weird Al Yankovic.
2: Because
1: yeah. you know, if you like Weird Al, you're going to see this movie. Yeah. And I guess $6 million worth of people saw this movie because they were Weird Al fans.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I guess also worth noting <clears throat> that, I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but the Weird Al really wanted to title this movie The Vidiot. Which, oh. which I actually think would have been a better would have been a better name. It might
1: have been, yeah.
0: He wanted to title it "The Vidiot." The studio wanted to title it "UHF," and in the international re- release, it's called "The Vidiot" from UHF.
1: Huh.
0: So, <laughs>
1: That's something I did not know. Well, do we? Uh, would you recommend it to anyone?
0: <laughs> I mean, if you like Weird Al, then I think it's worth a watch. I think it's it's one of those movies where I would say...
1: Smoke a big give, fat give, joint before yeah, you watch Yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> give, give,
0: like, give it a try, but I won't be shocked if you cut it up. Like, stop watching halfway maybe, through.
1: Maybe kind of, uh, if you don't know the movie and you want this episode to make sense to you... Yeah. then Then watch it, but otherwise... There's probably hundreds of movies that I would recommend before this, right? Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's UHF, and that's our show for this week. Uh, If you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out on the business end is go to Apple or Spotify or whatever app you listen to your podcasts on and give us five stars. doesn't matter what you say, but those five stars drive us up the charts and help us get noticed.
0: If you'd like to contact or donate to us, you can email us at I used to like this one, all one word at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media at I used to like this one on Facebook at I used to like this one on Instagram or at I used to number two, like this one number one with numbers instead of words because of the character limit on Twitter. Uh, on social media, you'll get the heads up on what our next movie is so you can watch it ahead of time. I Used to
1: Like This One is created by, hosted by, and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. It is edited by Sean Wells. Music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band, Carter in the Capitals, anywhere you listen to music. Thanks for listening, and join us next week when we take a look at another movie on I Used to Like This One.